0: Readers, my book, Reading People, is coming this September 19th. The subtitle of that book is, How Seeing the World Through the Lens of Personality Changes Everything, because this is the story of how my long journey, digging into seven popular personality frameworks, changed my life for the better, and how you can put those frameworks to work for yourself to make real lasting change in your life, in your work, and in your relationships without going through quite so many hard knocks yourself. To get yourself in the mood for all things personality, pop over to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash quiz to take our reading personality quiz. It's fast and free and easy to take and hopefully a lot of fun as well. Go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash quiz to find out which one of nine reading personality types best describes you. If you want to know more, I made a class for you where I spend an hour diving deeper into all nine types and give each set of readers their own book recommendations. That class is available for purchase in the shop at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com shop. It's $15, or you can get it for free when you pre-order Reading People. You also get a free audiobook download of the book when it comes out on September 19th. I've just spent the past few days in studio recording that, so I'm extra excited right now. This is a terrific deal and a rare opportunity to get the book in two different versions, plus my reading personality class at no additional cost. To get your pre-order bonuses, take your receipt and go to readingpeoplebook.com. You'll get instant access to the class and the free audiobook download when the book comes out on September 19th. Today, I'm chatting with Mary Gertner. I met Mary and her friend Rachel in my very own living room when she was in town for the Popcast Live event in June, and we hosted a pre-party at my house. Mary and Rachel drove down from Cincinnati together, and they told me all about how they spent the car ride choosing their What Should I Read Next books. You know how it works. There are three books they love, one book they hate, what they're reading now. I asked what they picked, and when Mary told me her books, especially the books she hated, I said, you need to come on the show. Like a good friend, Rachel affirmed that Mary would make an amazing guest, telling me how Mary is an all-around wonderful person, plus has a cool job as Executive Director of Girls on the Run for the Cincinnati area. So, we made it happen. Today, Mary and I discuss her loves and her hates, and along the way we cover copycat books, strong female protagonists, escapism, and what's so special about reading a unique book for the first time. Let's get to it. Mary, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Oh well, it's great to talk to
0: you. So the last time we spoke was actually in my living room. Yes,
1: which is so great with so many books.
0: So that was for the What Should I Read Next and Popcast Live live show and party at my house. It was so fun. Something that was really—I mean, obviously it was great to meet everybody in person, but I loved hearing about how you guys—and you were not the only ones spent your car ride down from Cincinnati to Louisville discussing like what your three books you love and one book you hate would be on the podcast. And I especially like that you had an interesting angle on it. So I'm looking forward to diving into that today.
1: Great. So Mary, tell us a little bit about your background as a reader. I would say I've always been a reader. Um, I definitely was a big reader as a kid. I was never super active. Um, I was more the type of person who would bring a book on the playground, which is something that I've heard from a lot of your guests before. I think you attract those people. So I definitely always love to read. And I think in my young adult years, got a little bit away from the pleasure of reading um, just throughout school and having so many books assigned. And I didn't really read as many books as I chose versus books that were assigned to me. So it probably took until my mid-20s before I really jumped back into reading just as a hobby for the pleasure of reading. So it's been really nice to revisit something that has been such a big part of my life.
0: I'm glad to hear that. But also I'm really surprised because I know what you do professionally and it never made me think that you would be, you know, the girl like sitting against the brick wall with her book.
1: It's funny you mentioned that because I think actually that being in my past really made um, what I do now more impactful to me.
0: Okay. So, unpack that a little bit because you have a leadership position with Girls on the Run, isn't that right?
1: Yes, I'm the executive director of Girls on the Run Greater Cincinnati and Girls on the Run is an organization for girls in grades 3 through 8. It combines character building lessons with running and walking and girls train for a 5K with Um, volunteer coaches as they go through a series of lessons. So I think to me, it's the program that I wish existed when I was younger, because I was very intimidated by team sports, and I just did not see myself as an athletic person. And it wasn't until college that I really started running and exercising just for health and fitness reasons. So I think it's so great that Girls on the Run is making running accessible to young girls and saying, you don't have to be the fastest. You don't have to try out for the soccer team. You can just do this and you can do it your whole life.
0: So I know what the mission is of Girls on the Run, but I've never seen it in action. Can you give me a little peek behind the scenes of what actually happens in this program with these girls?
1: Definitely. So girls meet in a small group. There's usually around 15 girls on a team with a few volunteer coaches, and they take them through a series of character building lessons. And the lessons are topics such as healthy eating and body image, um, being smart on the internet, teamwork, bullying, their relationships, both with their family and their friends, and also community service. And The girls will design and implement a community service program as part of the lessons that they do, but all the while they're training for a 5K. And the experience of training and running the 5K is really impactful for girls at this age. It's a long-term goal that a lot of them at this point, you know, ages 8, 9, 10, really haven't had a lot of long-term goal setting. And especially today in this society of immediate gratification, having a 10-week goal is really hard. It's hard for us as adults. It's really hard for eight and nine-year-olds. So they go through this series of lessons and Meanwhile, they're just chipping away at this goal, and we know how that is. You know, you take three steps forward, one step back, they get – discouraged and they have their teammates and their coaches there to encourage them and then they have this experience of running in the girls in the run 5k and crossing the finish line and that sense of empowerment that they get is something that they can take with them into the rest of their lives and say i know what this feels like i know what it means to accomplish a goal and hopefully that will impact their studies and their relationships all throughout the rest of their lives
0: what's your role in this
1: I'm the executive director, so I have the privilege of leading our team here in greater Cincinnati. We serve about 11 counties in our tri-state region.
0: Okay, so what do you do on an average day at work?
1: I do a lot of fundraising, so I work with our sponsors and do some grant writing to help bring in funds, so all of our girls um, pay to participate on a sliding scale, and in our region, about 50% of the girls require scholarships to participate. So I help bring in a lot of that. I get to represent us in the community. So I'm often at different events and speaking engagements, just kind of spreading the message and just getting to lead the team. We've got a team of eight women who help serve our mission in Cincinnati. So
0: you mentioned that you wish you'd had this program when you were an eight, nine-year-old girl. Have you spent time thinking about what your experience as a girl that age how that could have been different or is that too painful to contemplate
1: oh it's not painful to contemplate i mean those years are hard no matter where you're from right no matter kind of what your background is we go through an awkward phase at some point in there so i wouldn't say that i had some you know major trauma that would have been better impacted had i had this program but i think i would have been a lot more confident and i think i would have been more active at a younger age and you know, regardless of whether or not somebody wants to play sports or, you know, be on the dance team or whatever, it's just healthy to be active. And right now, I don't think there are a lot of programs for kids that are just encouraging general activity. And kids are more sedentary than ever before. Not as many kids are just out playing for hours and getting their exercise naturally. So it's almost if if you're not signed up for a team, there's not a lot of avenues for that. So I think it's really important to teach kids that this is something that there's not always going to be a coach there to tell you to run laps or to kick a ball or to lift weights. And you have to find a way to make it your own in order to live a healthy lifestyle as an adult.
0: So by day, you work with an organization that aims to empower young women. Do you think that changes the way you read, what you look for in a book, what jumps out to you as wise or unwise? What makes you cringe? What doesn't? Has that changed the way you see probably the world, but also your reading life?
1: It absolutely has. I love a strong female protagonist in my books. And you'll see that as a theme. And just definitely thinking about, you know, a lot of the books that are out there right now, it's great. That's being more promoted in terms of young girls. You know, you get the Hunger Games and the Katnisses. And so I love what's happening that more strong, powerful women are being portrayed to young girls as in the books that they're reading.
0: Okay. So Mary, when would we find you reading? And what would we
1: find you reading? So you'll find me reading at least most days um, in the evenings. That's kind of my preferred activity unless it's, you know, a really good show on TV. It might go back and forth. (laughs) Um, (laughs) After my daughter goes to bed, you can often find me with a cup of tea or a glass of wine and a book. And that is my preferred wind down. I took your reading personality quiz. Of course, you know, I love personality assessments and I got the escapist. And I think that is so, so true for me that it is something that I do for the pleasure of reading. I don't really want reading to feel like homework I'm not really looking to impress anybody with the books that I'm reading. So if a book is interesting to me, then I'll read it kind of regardless of what genre it falls into.
0: Do you know what it is about a book that will catch your eye and make you want to pick it up?
1: You know, it's usually just being recommended by somebody that I trust. I have a lot a lot of readers in my life that will recommend books to me. So I love getting to look through their Goodreads account or ask them what they're reading now and um, kind of get recommendations that way.
0: Okay. I like the sound of that. Well, I want to hear about these books with strong female protagonists. Are you ready to get to your books?
1: I'm ready. Okay.
0: Mary, you know how this works. You are going to tell me three books you love, one book you're not so crazy about, and what you've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. Okay, I'm excited. All right, let's start with your favorites. What is the first book you love?
1: The first book I love is American Wife by Curtis Sittenfeld. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is a story that is based on the life of Laura Bush. Um, It's definitely not biographical. Names, locations, and I'm sure certain aspects of her life have been either completely changed or embellished. But the general flow of the story is, is based on Laura Bush. So it follows this young woman who is kind of being thrown into this Political family, and just sort of what's going through her mind while all this is happening. And in addition to strong female protagonists, I love untold stories. So I was thinking about this book in in terms of kind of when you see a first wife and what that looks like because we see these political families in their polished forms. The work has kind of been done to get them ready for the spotlight, you know, Typically, there are consultants and people getting everybody picture perfect to make this ideal of what does the first woman look like? And we neglect her entire experience and her aspirations and What it's been like for her getting up to this point. So what I loved about American Wife was that it was very intentional and Kind of wrestling with the internal dialogue of, you know I love this man and I want to be a part of this and I want to support him but I know that that means I'm going to be Putting my own aspirations on hold at least for now and maybe forever And it was really powerful to kind of read through that as an intentional choice and to see the power in that, that she was sort of deciding this future for herself and not just being thrust into it, which it kind of seems like when we see the finished picture.
0: Okay. So it's kind of ironic that I'm asking you this because of the reason you hate books, but have you heard about, did you hear the big news that came out earlier this summer about Curtis Sittenfeld's? future political novel?
1: I have heard it, yes, which is very interesting. I'm a big Curtis Sittenfeld fan. Some of her books have fallen a little bit flat to me, but in general, I like her books and I love this new angle. Well,
0: as a Cincinnati resident, what did you think about Eligible, the Pride and Prejudice reimagining set in Cincinnati? I
1: liked it. I know there were a lot of mixed reviews from, you know, purists who did not want the the remake, so to speak, but It was right in my hometown and some of the streets that you talked about were running right by my office. So I loved it. It felt like a love letter to Cincinnati and I liked that they kept, you know, most of the elements the same, but just with a modern take. Did you like it?
0: I read it really quickly. I don't know. I haven't really stopped to ask myself, did I like it? I mean, I wasn't going to miss it. I I thought it was fun. How's that?
1: Yeah, that's perfect. I think it was fun. It was a great... great story that's been proven to be popular. And being from Cincinnati, I loved the reflection of the city. Yes,
0: there's just something so fun about reading about a place you're familiar with. It just adds this extra layer of interest and satisfaction in reading, assuming they get it right. But it definitely adds a different level to the reading experience. Yeah, I was really surprised to hear the news that she was writing a novel kind of in the spirit of American Wife about Hillary Clinton.
1: If she had never married Bill Clinton, what would her life trajectory be?
0: Yes. I can't imagine what she's going to do. And of course, Hillary Clinton is very much still alive, but I'm super intrigued. Very fun. I'm not about to recommend that to you today, but of course I was curious on what your take would be on it.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely intrigued by it.
0: Well, we have a couple years to wait. Mary, what's your second favorite?
1: My second favorite is Kindred by Octavia Butler. And It's classified as science fiction because it does deal with time travel um, and that initially did not make me want to read it. I'm not typically a science fiction fan. I grew up with an older brother who was always reading Isaac Asimov and that's kind of what I thought of of science fiction. So if you can suspend the time travel part of it, it really then reads like a memoir. So I it's actually the first science fiction book that was written by a black woman. And Octavia Butler kind of deals with, it's part slave memoir, um, definitely fantasy, and then also some historical fiction. So the main character in the story is in modern day, or I think it was maybe written in the 70s or 80s. And she's in an interracial marriage and she keeps being... I guess, summoned is the best word to the antebellum South and is placed on this plantation. And because of the time travel, it'll be years of her life on the plantation, but only minutes in modern time. And of course, as the story unfolds, you learn the relationship to why she is on this plantation and why she continues to be summoned and what's important to it. But again, it was more of that untold story of not only the woman as a slave, but the woman in modern times in an interracial marriage and for all intents and purposes, having, you know, the freedoms that are afforded to most people in the United States and then immediately being flipped into this other world. So her having to kind of quickly adjust and realize that everybody there just thinks she's one of the slaves and she's just there to work and That wrestling of the back and forth and at one of the times her husband even ends up going with her and he has to pretend to be her owner in order for them to travel together. So I just thought it was really powerfully written and um, the back and forth of it was, was really fascinating.
0: So if you resisted it at first, what made you finally pick it up?
1: You know, it was the recommendation of somebody that I trust I actually have a friend who she's a librarian now and at the time she was a book buyer for Joseph Beth and she she never gets it wrong she always recommends great books so she said just kind of put aside the word science fiction even fantasy sometimes turns me off but she said you know There's something about the world that's created that you sort of suspend the disbelief on time travel, and then you're just immersed in the world.
0: All right. I'm glad she hooked you. Mary, what's your next favorite?
1: My next favorite is called The Language of Flowers by Vanessa Diffenbaugh. So it follows a young woman who grows up through the foster care system and then ages out. So kind of what happens to her as she struggles to be an adult in this world And one of her foster parents was a botanist, and she learned about different flowers and what their meanings were, and she uses those to communicate, um, which sounds a little bit new agey, but it's so, so beautifully written. And she really uses that as a way of healing in her adult life to kind of find something that she can not only do in order to support herself, but also to kind of reconcile her relationships And I think that the author has a history. Maybe she grew up in the foster care system. Um, She actually, after writing that book, has co-founded a nonprofit that supports adolescents aging out of the foster care system. So it really opened my eyes to that gap that happens when somebody turns 18 and they are not legally adopted. Currently, there's not a lot of support systems for them, so it really feels like setting people up for failure And the story of this young woman, it was just so, so beautifully redemptive, kind of her whole story and how she's able to sort of rise above that.
0: I can see how the themes would resonate. What was it about the writing or the story that made this such a great book in your eyes?
1: I can't think of a less cliche way to say this, but it's just so beautifully written. You're just fully immersed in the story and the way that the author is able to kind of reflect the main character's feelings and the points of desperation in her life, as well as the highest highs. It's just, it's just beautiful. There's gotta be a better way to say that, but it's beautiful.
0: (laughs) I'll take it. That's okay with me. You know, we always change gears with our guests. Can you tell us about a book or reading experience that is not for you?
1: Yes. So, There is a certain theme happening in literature, I'm going to say right now, because this is the only time that I know of. I don't know if this is something that has always been leaned into quite as much as it is right now with the popularity of social media and how quickly things can go viral. But it's, I guess for lack of a better word, it's sort of copycat books. You know, a very popular book comes out, for example, Gone Girl, which is... A great read. It's an engaging story. It obviously was very popular and then turned into a movie. So people cling to this idea and then make, if you liked Gone Girl, you'll love X, Y, Z. And the thing that gets me is you're never going to have the same experience of reading a book you love for the first time. You can read it again and again, but that's such a unique experience to pick up a book, read it, and just love it that to try to recapture that with a book that was written sort of as a copycat, it just cheapens the experience. And the thing that gets me is a lot of times some of these books might be really good, but because they are compared to this original, they're just gonna end up falling short. And I think that's just what's happening you know, in, in TV and in movies, everything is a remake or everything is a sequel. And really, we're just never going to get that same experience back. So I think to me, I appreciate more very unique stories or something that hasn't been done a hundred times before.
0: Okay. So in librarian and bookseller terms, the read-alike is often relied on as a reliable way to find a book that a certain reader will love. But you're saying you don't like it.
1: I don't necessarily not like the read-alike. And I don't even know in terms of when certain books were written, maybe it wasn't even a copycat book. Maybe one book was written first and another book was written later, but it's more of the coattails. You know, a book comes out and then 10 books come out after that where the covers look similar and you think, oh, maybe I'll like this one because they used the same font as this other book that I really liked.
0: Oh, that's even worse.
1: Yes. So I do have an example. I'm I'm using Gone Girl as my example of a book that, I mean, I don't think it was the greatest book I've ever read, but I liked it. And I thought it was, you know, an interesting story, a quick read, engaging, kind of hit all the major points of a good novel. And at the
0: time, what you wanted was a unique reading experience. Yes? Yes. And it delivered.
1: It delivered. And right now, It's almost like novels continue to come out that are how twisty can we be and how can we take this oh it's an unhappy marriage and now we're going to make it even worse. Um, An example that I recently read was Behind Closed Doors by B. A. Paris, and I just thought, where did she come up with this idea? Have you read it? I have not read that one. It it takes the kind of perfect suburban couple and just really, really um, distorts it into some pretty disturbing places. It's kind of a book that sat with me in a way that almost like it hit me in my gut and I would wake up in the middle of the night and think, gosh, that was disturbing. I know you're probably wondering why I continue to read it. And that's because I can't stop. I am definitely a bitter ender when it comes to my books, no matter what's happening. But I just thought, why did I read that? Why did somebody write this? And why are people recommending it? It's so messed up. And I know that, you know, it's kind of different strokes for different folk. But just that idea that we've taken something that was kind of original and spiraled it out into all of these little remakes I just, I can't get on board with that.
0: I hear you. So, and I get what you're saying about the copycat books. Like you don't want to read everybody piling on the bandwagon because it's profitable, not because it's artistically fulfilling or good for the readers. Um, I do personally have mixed feelings about the read-alikes. In one sense, I love that that's a thing. And it's a nice, it's a nice accessible way to be able to describe a book to a person. Um, Like it's in the spirit of... Gone Girl, how about, or it's in the spirit of The Language of Flowers. But from another angle, if what you're looking for is a really amazing book, it's not going to, if you tell me you love Kindred, it's not going to help me know that you're going to want to read American Wife based on the read-alike factor. And that's something that's challenging and difficult to overcome typically when it comes to book recommendations.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Yes, I think, you know, and you can certainly end up liking a lot of books that are similar or in the same genre. But it almost just feels like a lazy way to say, you like this one thing. So here's 10 more things that are almost like that. So here you go.
0: The same story slightly differently. 10 times. Exactly. Some readers love to read like that, but I think for most of us, that would get old.
1: You know, there are so many different stories out there to be told. We don't have an infinite amount of time to read. Why should we read variations of the same story over and over again? I hear
0: you. Mary, what are you reading right now?
1: Right now, I am reading um, Americana by Amanda Nidici. I'm loving it. I am according to my Kindle, about 30% of the way through. So I'm just getting into the meat of it. But I love it. I selected it for my Modern Mrs. Darcy Reading Challenge. It's my immigrant story. And I just think it is, it actually intimidated me a little bit to start. Um, I've kind of had it on my to-read list for a while, and I just finally picked it up from the library. And I think just because it was a book in translation, I wasn't sure if maybe I was going to be able to immediately get into it. But gosh, it is just so, so great.
0: I saw a woman reading that at the pool the other night, and she had a library copy. And will was like hey check out her book was yours four inches thick i mean her copy was huge and i thought you know mine was not that big i don't know if i would have read it i i might have been too intimidated to pick it up just based on the heft and that was even after i i don't know there's i don't know if it was the title i read it at the urging of at the very strong urging of one friend a couple years ago um so there wasn't it hadn't gotten a ton of praise and it just i don't know the title just wasn't grabbing me. Now I feel so stupid saying that out loud, because I loved the book. But I hear you, I had to overcome a little bit of internal resistance. And then by page three, I was like, Oh, my gosh, why didn't I read this sooner?
1: Yes, it immediately engages you. And but yeah, that library copy, I do have the I have the e-copy on my Kindle, which definitely helps because I'm not carrying around that huge hardback with the plastic lining.
0: <laughs> yes. I mean, the one at the pool was impressive. Are you reading anything else right now? Are you a multiple book at a time reader?
1: I am not a multiple book at a time reader. It's very hard for me to go back and forth. I did just do it for the first time. Well, not the very first time, but um, I was reading Lincoln and the Bardo, which was a recommendation. And I received an advanced reader copy of Melanie Schenkel's new book, Church of the Small Things. So those were different enough that I could go back
0: and forth. Those seem quite different. Okay, so that wasn't a disaster, flipping back and forth with those.
1: It was not. I was able to go back and forth because that reader copy came and I couldn't really wait. I was only about halfway through Lincoln and the Bardo. So kind of depending on my mood, I would just go back and forth. But I wasn't really at risk for confusing the story.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Those would be some very strange dreams.
1: Yes, but typically I am a one book and done kind of person. It's it's hard for, for me. It's hard for me to prioritize or to choose which one.
0: You know, I don't think there's a right answer to that question, but there's probably a right answer for you. And as long as you know what you need as a reader, totally fine. Mary, is there anything you want to be different in your
1: reading life? So I think in the spirit of Americana, I'm interested in books that are going to challenge me in some way, Um, I'm still, as I said, very much in the escapist, I want to read for pleasure. I don't want a book to feel like homework. But I, I feel like I'm kind of coming out of a phase of my life when my daughter is two now. And so in the first year-ish of her life, I felt that I didn't have a lot of capacity for really challenging books. Uh, You know, she would finally get to bed, the house would be clean, everything would be done. And I would think, I just want to blow off some steam for a half hour before I do all this again. So I read a lot of, I hate this genre title, but you know, chiclet kind of beach reads. And I feel like now I'm in a space where I have a little bit more margin to be challenged in some way. Um, And it doesn't necessarily mean picking up, you know, Tolstoy, which it could, but I've recently read a few books that are more relevant today and kind of challenge the way that I think in some way. And I really enjoyed that. I read Small Great Things by Jodi Picoult. Um, This is How It Always Is. And then All the Ugly and Wonderful Things by Bryn Greenwood. So just books that, you know, they were definitely can't put them down kind of book. But all of them in some way or another really challenged me, stayed with me long after I read them. And so that's really what I'm looking for.
0: All right. I'll see what we can do. This is going to be fun. All right. Mary, welcome back. Thank you. I can't wait. Okay. I've jotted lots of notes during our talk and I've crossed out a couple too. So we'll see how this goes, but it sounds like you know what you like. So what we're looking for is challenging books plus a nice dose of escapism. Strong female protagonists are not a bad thing, but not an essential. And as for your favorites, they're very different in different genres. And I love that you chose those, but they all have a nice dose of imagination, a serious dose of old things meeting new things, very interesting takes on familiar stories So if we can fit some of those themes in, that will be a good thing. Also, you have lots and lots of really richly drawn characters. None of the books you chose has a really broad cast of characters. There's not 100 characters in any of these novels. There's one or two that you go really deep with.
1: Yes, definitely. Okay,
0: so I'm keeping all that in mind. Okay, for book one, I feel a little apologetic about it for reasons that we will get to. But have you read... Behold the Dreamers by Imbala Mbueh.
1: You know, I haven't, but I just had somebody recommend it to me, and it is on my list, so I am happy to add it.
0: Here's the apologetic part, is Oprah just picked it. So I kind of hate to go there, but in my defense, I just finished it myself at the beach, and I started it, darn it, before she picked it as her book. So is it really bad that you feel like you need to justify yourself because Oprah is talking about a book?
1: I mean, Oprah has taste. And I didn't know that she had recommended it, so that's perfect. Well,
0: I should have kept my. Well, you know what though? Lots and lots of listeners—they know, they know what books Oprah is reading and recommending, and she does have good taste. Okay, well, here's what made me think of it for you. You said that you really like the untold stories, and this was a great example of that. You also mentioned you're reading an immigrant story, and you've already got that category nailed for the Modern Mrs. Darcy Reading Challenge. But this would also qualify. So the author is herself a cameroon native who's been in the states for about 10 years i believe and drawing on that experience she's written this contemporary novel it's set in new york city right during the crash of 2008 and what she does here is really interesting she manages to draw together intimately two wildly different families. One is a couple with a young child. They are immigrants from Cameroon and they are fairly recently arrived in the United States. They don't have their permanent papers. They're waiting on them. They're going through the immigration process and they are scraping by, barely scraping by. And on the other side of the socioeconomic spectrum, she has this very wealthy couple. The husband works for one of the big financial she names she names the bank and I can't remember, but works for one of the big financial corporations that's about to crash in the economic collapse. And his um stay-at-home society wife. And when the Cameroonian man gets a job as the one percenters chauffeur, the lives of the two families become interconnected. So in alternating storylines, you get to see what's going on in all their households and the similarities and the differences. And it wouldn't be a novel if things didn't go awry. And all, all this family turmoil is happening against the backdrop of the economic turmoil with the coming financial meltdown. It's a great story. How does that sound to you?
1: That sounds great. I really didn't know very much about it. Um, I knew that it I think maybe you put it on as an option for an immigrant story, or maybe my friend even said that that's what she was using it for. So I knew very little, but hearing that synopsis is enough to sell me, definitely.
0: Okay. Well, I like the sound of it for you, and I'll be curious to hear what you think. Okay. For book two, I'm going to hit the escapism hard, if you haven't already read it. This is upmarket women's fiction is what they call this. Uh, Leon Moriarty, It's What Alice Forgot. Are you familiar with it?
1: I think I have read that one. I've, I've read most of her books.
0: Okay. Do you like her?
1: I do like her. I really loved um, Big Little Lies and what they did with that on HBO.
0: I have not seen HBO, but I did see that it won a bazillion awards.
1: It was good. But I, I think I have read this one.
0: Okay. Then not that. What do you know about The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas?
1: I have heard it's, is it YA and kind of Black Lives Matter for YA?
0: Yes. Yes, it is. So what Angie Thomas has done is she's taken stories straight from the headlines and shown them to the readers. Um, She's basing this very much on real events that you've read about in the newspaper, not like in the fiction aisle at your local bookstore she has a 16 year old protagonist named star carter star carter is a black girl who has two different worlds she lives in she lives in the black neighborhood she has a white preppy boyfriend Um, she's used to walking the line but then one day she's out with an old friend in the passenger seat when her black childhood best friend is killed by a white police officer. So that's the Black Lives Matter plot line that you were thinking of. And then as the story unfolds, she figures out what to do, who to tell, will they believe her, will they not, what's going to happen in the community? This has been called a um, important story, one that's really necessary for our time. I was afraid it was it would read like an issues book myself and I mean, it is an issues book, but what I mean is I was afraid that it would feel like a book that you read, like it was medicine, not like it was a good story. And I was thrilled to see that it was a good story. And I think she does a really good job of ratcheting up your ability to empathize with people in the various situations in the book, because when you're seeing it through their eyes and not as a piece of journalistic reporting, it just hits you in a different way. How does that sound to you?
1: That sounds great. I, I'm definitely not somebody who shies away from YA, but there was something about maybe it was the the way the title was written with, you know, the U for you. And yeah, I think maybe I thought it was going to be more of just the issues book, but it sounds like it's so much more.
0: I had no idea until halfway through the story when it's spelled out for the reader that the title came from a Tupac lyric.
1: Oh, I did not know that either.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can understand how that would happen. Okay, book three. I don't know. Okay, so I'm debating between some old imaginative historical fiction, uh, between another historical mystery. Um, I'm thinking about a thriller that's could definitely be described as appealing to Gone Girl fans, but it's definitely not a copycat or a read-alike. What do you think, Mary? What direction do you want to go in? I'm also thinking about like a thousand page massive book with not very many women and a whole lot of men.
1: Well, this is hard because I really want to know all of them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what do we have so far? So we have a YA book. We have a not terribly long literary contemporary fiction I don't know. What do you think about The Red Tent by Anita Diamant? I don't know about it. You don't know anything about it? You don't. This is 20 years old. I think it came out in the late 90s, but it's just about 300 pages. And do I remember correctly that you used to think you didn't love historical fiction, but actually you read some good stuff and realized it's not the genre. It was just a run of not great for you books. That
1: is definitely accurate. I think I just thought that I didn't like history, which is also... Um, pretty vague statement.
0: (laughs) It's been a long time since I've read this. I'm going to try either to skirt the details so I don't incriminate myself or I might be botching them. So The Red Tent is Diamant's retelling of large portions of Genesis and maybe more of the New Testament. But Genesis is the story of the biblical patriarchs and the women don't get a lot of screen time. But Diamant changes that in this book. So the main protagonist is Dinah. And we see the story mostly from her perspective, even though she's not mentioned much actually in the source material in the Bible. But she's, we see the story through her eyes here. And then also through the four wives of the biblical character, Jacob. And the red tent, you have to know, is the tent that all the women would go to during the three days a month when they were on their cycle because they were unclean. So they had to leave the camp and go out to this place that was theirs. And so that was a big part of the rhythm of their lives and the rhythms of womanhood. And um, when when a girl becomes a woman and goes to join the other females in the red tent, that's a big deal and a big tradition. And there's a lot happening in this period of history. There's um, marriages and rivalries and warfare and all kinds of stuff is going on. But it's all told, it's a familiar story, but it's told from a totally different, very imaginative perspective. Uh, the protagonists are all female Their stories have not traditionally been told from this time period and definitely not told in this way. And it might also hit that escape is button just because it's so different from the lives we're living today. How does that sound to you?
1: I love everything. As soon as you said the first sentence, I thought, well, I'm in (laughs) the story of what was happening to the women while the men's stories were being told. I love that.
0: Well, And it's about 300 pages. So if you hate it, but can't bring yourself to put it down, I did not just sign you up for three books in one, like would have happened with something like closer to a thousand. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear it. I can't wait to hear what you think. I can't wait. Mary, of those three titles, what do you think you will read next?
1: I think The Red Tent is going to be it.
0: All right. Well, I can't wait to hear how it goes for you. Thanks so much for talking books with me today.
1: Thank you so much. It was so good.
0: Hey readers. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mary today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Mary and to let her know what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 90. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. If you like the idea of meeting your fellow listeners and readers in person, I'm happy to be able to finally share that Read New Orleans registration is live. Join me on Sunday, September 17th from noon to 6 p.m. for a day of readerly fun. For more information, visit modernmrsdarcy.com slash read-nola. That's read-n-o-l-a. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Anne with an E, B as in Books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading.
1: Happy reading, everyone.